think I thought, well, I should tell you about my family. I have three children and one wife. And uh, in ministry, if you have it the other way around, it gets really complicated. Uh, I have been married for about a little under 35 years to a wonderful, godly woman named Cheryl. We have three children. Our oldest is Spencer. He is a pastor at a church called Church of the City in Guelph. A really clever, wonderful, great preacher guy. And he's on staff there. Our middle child, uh, her name is Riley. She is our one uh, zealous Pentecostal. And uh, she lives in Sydney, Australia. And most recently, she was on the staff of Hillsong College, uh, which is connected to Hillsong Church. You may have heard of that little church in Sydney. And uh, she has just left her position there to become a midwife. And uh, she has uh, married a wonderful, godly guy named Chris who owns a, a surfboard manufacturing company. And I'm trying to convince them to move to Ontario because there's very few surfboard companies on Lake Ontario. And uh, so we're hoping that comes true. And then our youngest son is uh, named Landon. He is an aerospace engineer by training. And uh, he is clever, smart like his mom. We thank God for that. And he's married to a godly young woman named Laura who's on staff at a church called Restoration Church in Cambridge. And so, uh, I'll, I'll mention them as I preach. When my kids were growing up, if they got mentioned in a sermon, they got 10 bucks. But now that they're out of the house and everything, they don't get nothing. Okay? They don't get nothing. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help, then we're going to jump in. Okay? Father God, we cry out in the words of the psalmist this morning, Father, would you open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your word? And Father, Jesus is the attraction this morning. And so as we enter into this upper room again, may we hear the sound of sandaled feet. May Jesus sit amongst us and teach us and encourage us and maybe correct us in some way. Father, help me anoint my lips, clarify my thinking. If there's something I say that's not of you, may that be quickly forgotten and thrown to the side. But Father, minister to us. And may we experience the glory of Jesus as we already have this morning, because we need you. And it's in his name we pray, amen and amen. If you have your Bibles there, open up to John chapter 13. Gail Ann, do you have a water bottle that I can have? Is that possible? Because when you preach for two hours, you need water. <laughs> it's just a matter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, John chapter 13, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. A uh, little list I want to read for you. Listen carefully. Here's my list, okay? Kids, Omicron, finances, future, our weight, the economy, crime, health, marriages, bullying, anger, careers. That's a list of things to worry about. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, is it? But it is a list of things to worry about. Anybody worrying about anything? Just nod. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just nod. Are you worrying about anything? Maybe in the last few months. Have you worried about anything? Just nod. Yeah, lots of worry, right? Uh, I remember uh, many years ago, I had to have a little surgical procedure, and so I went to see the surgeon, and it wasn't a big deal, but he said, uh, we're going to do this with a local. Now, when they say a local, what a local means is a local means you get to fully participate in the terror. That's what that means, okay? Uh, 
And so he says, we're going to do this a local. So I go in for this surgical procedure, and they, you know, I'm lying there on the bed. And I'm not a big worrier, but I'm not a big medical guy. I just, you know, I just, that's not my thing. And I'm lying there, and I'm, I'm kind of worried. I'm nervous, you know. And the nurse is standing there, and she says, oh, I can see you're afraid. And I can see you're worried, and it looks like you're shaking a little bit. And it's going to be okay. There's, don't be afraid. This, is, this will work out fine. This will be fine. And I said, oh, well, thank you very much. And she said, oh, no, I'm talking to the doctor. And uh, so that, that didn't help. You, you might get used to me. I doubt it. <laughs> Things to worry about. Today I want to talk about worry. I want to talk about worry. Look at John chapter 13. We're going to begin to read at verse 33. It's the Lord Jesus speaking. Little children... Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, listen, where I am going, you cannot come. Last Sunday, we covered the next two verses, right? Verse 34, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. And now we're going to jump ahead to verse 36. And you will see that verses 36 through 38 are actually tied back to verse 33, the one that I just read. So let's pick it up at verse 36. Even though there's been this little uh, interjection of this new commandment, Simon Peter goes back to verse 33 about this issue of where I'm going, you you cannot come. And he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see, when Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come, we get a sense that Peter stops listening. He, He looks like he misses this whole new commandment of loving one another, and that that will be the gold standard by which the world will know that we are followers of Jesus by the love we show one for another. Peter zoned in, he stuck back at 33, verse 33, and he says, you know, uh, hold on, uh, hold on, I know that new commandment thing, but hold on, Jesus, let me go back to verse 33. What do you mean? What do you mean? Now, now, what is said next after Jesus says, you cannot go with me, I mean, that is really, really important stuff. But Peter misses it. Now, turn quickly in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. I, I want to take you and I want to paint the picture a little broad, more broadly here about this guy named Pete. Matthew chapter 16, just to give you a sense of chronology, this is one year before this upper room experience, the Passion Week. One year before. And Jesus has traveled up to Caesarea Philippi. If you know your biblical geography, and if you have never been to the Holy Land, I've been five times. Lord willing, I'm going a sixth time in November. If you want to come, come. It's the bucket list. Don't go to some silly thing in Bermuda, right, where you're going to, you know, Come to Israel. Life-changing. And I will take you to this very spot at Caesarea Philippi. And once you go to that very spot, this story will have an entirely new texture to you. 
But it's the most northern spot that Jesus travels in his earthly ministry. And he cobbles together those disciples there in that spot. And he says, uh, who do people say that I am? Uh, what are they saying? What's the scuttlebutt? What's the word on the street? And of course, we know that the answer is some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Pete. You nailed it. You got it. And you didn't come up with that on your own. Actually, Father God gave that to you, Peter. A year before this upper room, Peter is solidly and resolutely fixed on the truth that Jesus is, in fact, God's son, the anointed one, the Messiah. Let me ask you this this morning, Temple. Anybody here believe that Jesus is God's son for at least a year? Okay, two of you. That's good. No, I mean, I mean do you believe Jesus is God's son? I mean, are you a follower? You, and, and at least a year. Okay, look at the hand. I mean, yeah, most of us, right? Okay. Yeah, me too. You know, Pete has believed now for a year that Jesus is God's son. What's interesting is, in the story, and in here this morning, most of you that raised your hands are the same ones that when I started and I said, do you worry about things? You also nodded. I, I just want you to hold that thought for a minute. So in the upper room, Jesus says, uh, hey, I have something new for you. Don't you think that Peter would let that thought go, that uh, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he'd say, oh, okay, this is God's son. This is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says he has something new. I am going to listen. Let's have it, Jesus, man. My ear is turned to you, is fixed to you. Something new. The rumor is that this coming September, September 2022, the new iPhone 14 will be coming out. The last couple of times a new iPhone has come out, do you know in some places the lineups are hundreds of people deep because they got to have the new iPhone? Okay, spoiler alert, it's not that new. It's rejiggered a bit. Like I can, you know, like if the iPhone 14 comes out, and you go and buy one, and, and you, know, you get it home, and, and you say to me, hey, I got the iPhone 14, it's new. I'm going to say, no, it's not new, they've improved the camera. If you say, no, no, watch, if I push this button, this turns into a Peloton exercise bike. That'll be new, right? That'll be new. Or if I push this, it's an espresso machine. What would you like? You know, flat white? Like, if it can do that, then I'm going to go, but it won't do that. It'll just be rejigged a bit, right? It'll be a little bit better this, little, you know, not going to have that little dip in the top of the screen. That's the rumor. Wow, is that ever exciting? Life-changing. I better get in line. But when God says, I got something new for you, don't you think you'd listen? What if God said to us, hey, uh, you know, I got a whole new color. I've been holding this one in heaven. You've never seen it before. Wait till you see this color. Actually, I've got a whole new animal. You've never seen anything like this. I'd listen. But Peter, he, he doesn't even give that new command a mention. And I wonder if the problem in our worry for Peter and for us is maybe that at some point we stop listening. We stop listening. Instead, Peter is fixed on that comment from the verses before, and he blurts out, Lord, where are you going? Now, let's get that fuller picture. If you're at Matthew 16, look down at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer from many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, ooh, that would hurt. That's a tough one. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? Look at your Bible. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, here's your problem, buddy. Your problem is your concern is you. That's your problem. You are worried about your situation, not surrendering yourself to my sovereignty, to God's will and God's way. And you see, worry, friends, listen, and this might hurt a bit, but it's true. Worry at its base is when your biggest concern is you. Your biggest concern is you. And this is very important. If you are at the center of your life, then Jesus cannot be. If you are dead center in your life, then Jesus cannot be. And Jesus made this clear to Peter, right? Remember the Sermon on the the Mount? Seek ye first the what? We know the verse. Kingdom of God and his righteousness. You make... You make God's plan and his will first and foremost. But at Caesarea Philippi, Peter is worried about Peter. And if you were to go back to the upper room and accelerate a few hours, you'll remember that they leave the upper room. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. There's confusion. And Peter ends up in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And he's warming his hands at a charcoal fire. And a servant girl says, hey, I, I think I recognize you. Uh, you're with that guy. You're with the Jesus guy. Oh, no, 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 not me, not me. Yeah, yeah, you are. No, I'm telling you I'm not. And before we know it, the reality is that Peter has denied Jesus, and we hear the rooster crow, and still, a year later, after the upper room, Peter is still in the center of Peter's life. Hmm, that's pretty tough. Now, Peter is worried about Peter, But he does change, and we can all change. And for that, we should be grateful. In fact, Jesus says to Peter there at Caesarea Philippi, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That literally means Simon Johnson. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. That's as far as I went there when we looked at at the text there in Matthew. But now let's read a little farther. Jesus said to Peter, and I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. Wow. Verse 19, and I will give you the king's keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That, this is right before Peter is rebuked by Jesus, but it doesn't change that, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven... Because Jesus has much more in store for Peter, a much bigger role than Peter simply being a bodyguard. But as long as Peter remains the center of Peter's life, Peter will be filled with worry because Jesus is sidelined. And friends, the same applies to you and to me. Because when you are dead center in the center of your life, it means... That everything, every challenge, every disappointment, every ounce of confusion, every ounce of concern, the fuzziness of life, 
it means that if you're dead center in your life, that all of that falls on you to figure out, to fix up. And the reality is, in the world in which we live, most of us, we're just not up to the task. Amen? This world's tough. It's tough. Ultimately, worry is rooted in our situations, our circumstances, and our fears. But what God has in store for you is far greater than what you have in sight, even though at the time you may not be able to see it. God makes a promise. Now, if it hasn't occurred to you, remind yourself this morning that every time God speaks, it's a promise. Did you know that? You know, have you ever had, you know, have you ever had, I have grandkids, you know, and sometimes the grandkids say, uh, you know, something like, Popsy, will you let us out of this locked room in a few hours? And I say, yes. And then they say, do you promise, right? You, you know, like you've had kids and grandsons say, mom, do you promise? Are we going to do that? Is that a promise? Every time God opens his mouth, mouth, it's a promise. It can't not be, right? If he says he's going to do something, it's a done deal. You know that. He tells Peter that. He says, I'll use you to build my church. And he would, and he did. And when Jesus told Peter in the upper room where he was going that he couldn't come, you know, Jesus told Peter, now you're going to deny me three times, Pete. And Peter, what Peter was doing, friends, was not living in the promises of God. And the only way you can live in the promises of God, as I've mentioned, is Jesus in the center of your life. Now let's go back to where we began, John chapter 13. Turn back over there. Because Peter said to him very clearly, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds and he says, will you lay down your life? No, I don't think so, Peter. Jesus does not answer the why that Peter asks, right? Peter says, why can I not go? And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? He doesn't answer the why. And friends, listen carefully to this. Jesus often doesn't answer the why. He answers the what. And when something comes into your life that you're worried about, stay clear of the why. Ask the what. Because I have found, I I should ask the what. What do you want me to do, Jesus? I don't fully get this. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what is going on. But what do you want me to do? I have found that if I ask that question first in obedience, I avoid Jesus having to answer as a correction. Peter should really have listened more and boasted just a little less. If you're looking for relief from worry, let me encourage you to stop asking why. Because my response is more important than God's why. If you want to write a reference down, it's Psalm 28.7. Psalm 28.7. Answers, friends, do not remove fear. Faith does. You can get all the answers in the world. It may not remove your fear. Faith does. What is faith? Simply this. Here's the best definition for faith. Faith is taking God at his word. That is faith. Taking God at his word. That's faith. I take him at his word. It's not some fuzzy, out there, mystical kind of a deal. Faith is simply this. I take God at his word. So practically speaking, how do we deal with the 
The worry that comes when we don't know what to do and when life is perplexing and challenging. Do you remember that song back in, I think it was the late 80s, Bobby McFerrin? Don't worry. Yeah, you guys really sounded, you really meant it, eh? You go, be happy. <laughs> do, do you know that song uh, was, uh, he, Bobby McFerrin wrote it because an Indian uh, guru called Mihar Baba, that was one of his key phrases. Don't worry, be happy. It's like you can just will yourself into happiness. Really? Have you ever tried to do that? There's been times where I've been worried and it's like, oh no, I'm not going to, I'll just will myself into happiness. And it works for about 40 seconds, right? It doesn't work. Just willing yourself? No. Turn to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, and we're coming to a close here, but I want you to get a few things down before that happens. 1 Peter 5, we're going to see how we deal with this from Peter's life. Because Peter was a man of some significant failures of faith who worried about all kinds of stuff. Now, in 1 Peter 5, Peter's writing about 30 to 35 years after the upper room. And as Jesus promised Peter, Peter has been used mightily of God. And Peter, in 1 Peter here, is writing to persecuted Gentile Christians, right? He's teaching in the upper room to those Christians who are going to be persecuted, those disciples. Now Peter is speaking to disciples of Jesus more broadly, and the reality is they are being persecuted. Government opposition is rising. They're feeling more contracted in the way in which they live, and they're living in a difficult world. It sounds like 2022 Sarnia. Amen? It's the world they're living in. They have much to be worried about. But listen to this wholly different Peter right in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me begin at verse 6. Humble yourselves first, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, comma, and this is the verse that we always quote, but we don't quote it with verse 6, which is part of the sentence, casting all your anxieties on him, why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. But first what he said is humble yourselves. That is Jesus in the center of your life. You see, Peter's problem in the early days with Jesus was pride. We know that. He didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem and get murdered and all of that because Peter, he wants to be a vice president in the kingdom of God on earth, right? And he kind of thinks he's a bit of a big deal. Hey, hey, don't have to worry about me, Jesus. I will die for you, man. I am in, in, in. Pride. And pride, friends, is the breeding ground for fear. Peter doesn't believe that Jesus can look after him as well as he can. And at this point in his life, 30 years later, Peter has nothing to prove, friends, and only Jesus to make known. And he, has this deep, he, ha, he says this reality that you can cast all your cares on him, humble yourself. He says that out of deep personal experience and conviction. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Jesus in the center, surrender fully in every area of your life. Let me read a quote from Thomas Scriner, who's a New Testament scholar. I love this quote. Worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strengths. The only God they trust is themselves. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. Affliction either drives you towards God, right? And into the arms of God. Or for some people, sadly, it severs them from God. 
In fact, we saw both worry and pride. Did you notice it when we read from the upper room? Both worry and pride were there, right? Lord, why can't I not follow you now? Worry. And then he says in the same sentence, I'll lay down my life for you. Pride. Right there, side by side. But Peter says, first we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's who you want to put your trust in. The world can't solve your problems. Put them in the center. And then when you do that, verse 7, casting all your anxieties, all your worries, all your fears, all your pain on him because he cares for you. We give all of our worries to the Lord Jesus. That's why he said, come unto me all that labor and are tired because I'll give you rest. And so some of those worries, you can walk through Scripture, worry about family, right? Worry about your future. Worry about health. Worry about the world. Take your butt. Get on your computer. You know, if you're carrying a worry about your marriage or your kids, get on your computer today and type in and find a verse that will speak exactly to that in God's Word because it's a promise. Amen? And then you memorize that. You hold tight to that reality. That's God speaking. Last week, we dealt with that. God speaking. God speaking. Most worry is caused by borrowed burdens. You're borrowing your burden from God, who said he'll actually carry it, right? And, and listen to this. We need to remind ourselves of this. I needed to remind myself of this this week as I was preparing for this morning. God assumes full responsibility for all of your needs when you live in obedience to him. Did you know that? He, he assumes all of your needs, full responsibility, if you walk and live in obedience to him. If you don't believe that, read Job 42, okay? So if you're not certain of that today, when you get home, this afternoon, Job 42. Read Job 42, and you'll see. Clear as could be right there. God assumes all of his, our responsibilities when we walk in obedience to him. So repent to God of the sin of worry and release to God the symptoms. Let me give you two applications. I'm done. Two applications. One's a very practical one. Write your worry, whatever it is, put it on a little, get a little recipe card or a post-it note and actually write your worry on there. Lord, I'm worried about my marriage. Lord, I'm worried about our finances. Lord, I'm worried about my health. You write that right on a card and, and put it next to your bed or tape it to the nightstand. And every night when you go to bed, say, Lord, I cast this upon you because I can't deal with it. I can't fix it. And I readily and I humbly cast this upon you. And would you be the center of my life? And in so doing, Lord, I know you take responsibility for this, whatever the outcome, right? And in the morning when you get up, say, Lord, I'm looking forward to a great day today. Lord, let me cast this worry, this care to you because I don't want to be in the center. You're in the center. You take responsibility. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in the reality that you care for me. Let me read Philippians 4, 6, and 7 from the message. From the message. Listen, I like the language here. It's very, very real. Don't fret or worry Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Listen, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Let me say that again. 
It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And the second thing, practical thing you can do, carry the worry of another. This is a church family, and so if we consider ourselves part of a church family, then we should act like a family. Amen? Carry the worry of another. You know, do this today or do this this week. Call somebody. Don't feel awkward about it. Say, hey, you know, that, that little short guy from Cambridge, that little fat guy, he, he told me to do this. So I'm calling you. Hey, what worry can I carry to the throne of God for you this week? I just want to take that and I want to take the worry of whatever you're carrying confidentially and I'm just going to lift it up to God. I'm going to take that from you. If you go through the scriptures, you'll see the scriptures are replete with prayers on behalf of God's people by God's people. And say, you know what, I want to do that, right? That's why Paul says to Timothy, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercession be made for who? For all people, right? So do that. Do that. Pray for one another, and by in so doing, shoulder some of the worry that they carry and help them know that you care for them. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, when we have put ourselves in the center and we think we have to figure all of this brokenness, this smashed world we live in, and all of the fears and worries and pains and disappointments, the unknowns, the ups and the downs. And we shoulder that thinking that we can figure this out. Father, we repent of this this morning. And may we, like Peter, live with courage and confidence because Christ is in the center. Let us not borrow burdens, Father. We humble ourselves before you. You are our king. Please sit upon your throne of our hearts and our minds and our hands. May you be glorified in us in every single regard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.